0: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 Sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins Open your mind to a new way of living Timberliving.ie
1: Good morning and welcome to the Brandon O'Connor Show, durable MacDonald, uh, with you on this bitter, bitter cold morning uh, that it is Sunday. Our newspaper panel uh, have been very busy this morning parsing through all of the news and analysis in this morning's papers, but before I introduce you to them, let's see what is making the headlines this Sunday morning. Ahead of the second anniversary of the murder of teacher Aisling Murphy this Friday, her father Raymond Murphy tells the Sunday Times that he visits her grave every day. In a moving interview with Patrick O'Donoghue, Raymond Murphy paid tribute to his marvellous family. He asks what she did in her t- short 23 years. Had she lived, what would she have done in another 23 years? For its off lead, the Times reports that Gardaí have put in place a dedicated operation at national and divisional level to police anti-immigrant protest groups that have formed around the country. And it's fears of more anti-immigrant protests uh, that forms the lead for several of the broadsheets this morning. Somebody is going to die, Warren Gardaí. That's the splash for the Irish Mail on Sunday, which says the government has been warned by politicians and Gardaí that someone will be killed in... If they do not get to grips with what it describes as the deepening refugee accommodation crisis, as well as a spate of arson attacks. For its lead, the Sunday Independence latest Ireland Thinks opinion poll, based on a sample of 1,270 people. That poll suggests an increase in support for independent candidates as housing, the cost of living and immigration come further into focus ahead of local, European and a possible general election this year. Strikes loom as Donahue losing control with no pay deal inside. That's the lead for the Business Post which says that the threat of a spiral of industrial action across the public service could see the government lose control of industrial relations for the first time in 40 years. Let's have a quick look at the tabloids. The Sunday World carries a front page picture of veteran criminal Gerry the Monk Hutch smiling for the camera as he celebrated the new year in Lanzarote. As we know, Mr Hutch was acquitted by the Special Criminal Court last year following that mammoth trial uh, in respect of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel in 2016. Sex abuse judge quits. sets the lead for the Irish Sunday Mirror which cites Justice Minister Helen McEntee's confirmation that former Circuit Court Judge Gerard O'Brien has resigned uh, from the bench ahead of his sentence hearing in March. The Irish Sun on Sunday reports that Banshees of Inishreen's actor Barry Keown will step out tonight with his new partner, the American singer Sabrina Carpenter, for this evening's Golden Globes Awards. Banshees, the one for Barry, uh, is the headline there. Across the R.C., the uh, Sunday Telegraph is a striking picture. It's carried in a lot of papers today of an Alaska Airlines jet uh, passing passengers in this jet peering out of a hole in the fuselage on the side of a plane which was ripped open mid-flight sucking out phones, magazines and even the shirt off a child's back. Uh, I think about 170 Boeing passenger jets have now been grounded in the US after a refrigerator sized hole opened up in a plane mid-flight on Friday evening. The stuff of absolute uh, nightmares. Well listen, let's turn to um, our panel uh, who've been working away for this morning. I'm joined uh, in studio this morning by Linda O'Reilly who's the editor of the Anglo-Celt. Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Mediahuis Ireland. Lorcan Sir, Senior Lecturer of Housing at the Technological University in Dublin. And by GP, Dr Ray Wall. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Good. That picture of the flight of the jet, it's like something out of a, a movie. Um, I'm going to move on. Uh, maybe Kevin Doyle, just first of all, their, um, the theme of immigration is is across all of the papers this morning, but uh, one that caught your eye was, was that page one story uh, in the Mail about this special uh, unit that's going to be set up to monitor, um, uh, I suppose, the the protests and the violent activity.
2: Yeah, there's there's I suppose a theme right across the papers, which is now that this has become both a major political issue and a major policing issue. Mm-hmm. And the the Mail's take on it in the Sunday Times have something similar as well on their front page, which is basically that Gardy are now putting extra resources into monitoring the activity, I suppose, of some people who they know are involved in this and then some perhaps that are lesser known. And it involves a lot of following social media, online accounts. Some of that, that's very obvious to us. Anyone who's on X or Facebook knows a lot of this stuff, but it's perhaps the stuff more down the rabbit hole on Telegram and other places that are less, I suppose, in mainstream and inverted commas. Um and, I mean, the headline in the mail is somebody is going to die, Warren Gardine, Now, that's based on, on what they're describing as senior Garda sources. But we are hearing that said in political circles now as well, that we've had, um, I think, 10 different incidents now over the ca- course of the last year, many involving arson. We've seen threats of arson in other places. And it may well only be a matter of time till somebody or some people set fire to a building and there is already somebody either squatting in that building or has already moved into that building um, and there could be real tragedy here that goes beyond the property damage and the problems that these incidents have caused so far so Gardie ramping it up some people would say perhaps a little bit slow to the party um, in terms of that there was this sense that maybe ignoring some of these activists and some of this online stuff was the way to go um, I think that time has probably passed and that's what we're seeing And it today. is that
1: Linda that you know dilemma of not platforming and um, but at the same time, having to monitor uh, any of that activity, I think what's striking is that the the mail has actually a two-page spread where it it it, it t- photographs so many locations where there have been threats, if not actual incidents, of arson.
0: No, oh, absolutely, uh-huh. and this is happening all over the country. I mean, there are lots of properties that are being considered or advanced to house whether it's Ukrainian refugees or international protection applicants, be they, they Syrians, whatever nationality. And in some cases, homeless people. In some cases, yeah. homeless homeless people, absolutely. But but what we're seeing is local communities coming together and protesting against the arrival of refugees at these various locations. Uh, in Kutil, for example, there's been a protest that goes on every Sunday and it's been going on for almost a year now at a hotel in, in the town that's been advanced or considered, as I understand it, it's actually kitted out and ready to go to receive refugees, Ukrainian refugees, as I understand it. Um, that has been going on for a year. But what's what's common across all of these protests is local people who are very, very angry that they haven't been consulted in advance of these people arriving into their communities. They're all saying we're not racist. We're not the so-called far right or anything like that. They're expressing concerns about services in, in the community, be it hospital hospital places, health services, school places. They're saying we don't have the supports in the community to facilitate these people. People who already live in the communities are waiting weeks and months, be it for a GP's appointment, a hospital appointment, routine treatments. They're saying we, we simply can't cope. And, Ray, is it
1: that, look, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we've been, you know, honoured kind of, or celebrated for a response to the crisis, particularly in the wake of, um, you know, the, the Ukraine war. But um, is that fair to acknowledge concerns on the ground that people have, particularly in underserved communities where there may already be pressures to to access uh, services security like, like GP services? Is that what you're seeing reflected on the ground?
3: Well, certainly uh, general practice has indicated concerns with um, the fact that we have a shortage of general practitioners, the fact that uh, Um, you know, the the type of medicine we do 30 years ago is different to what we can do now. The consultations take longer, you you know, they take more time to go through. We've got an ageing population, so there are many factors in here. Um, So we have a shortage of general practitioners, and, you know, it's it's a thin line that only can go so far. Certainly that would be more so in deprivation areas and rural areas. Uh, That being said, in regard to the, the arson, like, you know, what comes to mind... I, I could share the concerns in regard to the, to the Gardaí, I think there's been about 14 or 15 of these arsons in the last year, like it's first responders, be it the Gardaí, the police, the ambulance service who go there, you know, not all the time do these things, they can work professionally but sometimes these things go wrong, so they're always the ones in in the front line in the Garda. obviously the concern will be that somebody will be in one of these buildings, but um, certainly I, I would share the Garda concerns.
1: Yeah, um, Lorcan, um, I know obviously you serve on uh, the expert advisory group that's looking at and direct provisions who are probably well acquainted with a lot of the the issues but I suppose it is becoming a, immigration is becoming into sharper focus but there, you know, a lot of our uh, immigration that we're receiving is you know, not in fact maybe the international protection or Ukraine, typically it's people coming home uh, to Ireland it is, you know, people come from the UK and other countries, it is legal migrants but I suppose the group that has the highest visibility um, are also the most vulnerable ones
4: Yeah, and also tend to be not white. Um, mm-hmm. And When you look at the statistics, you'll find that you're absolutely right. That a huge amount of people coming in, the nest migration, in other words, mm-hmm. you know, people leaving Ireland and people coming in, uh, an awful lot of them are European, EU or British or Irish people are, are returning home. Um, John Drennan has a good piece in in the Mail. The Mail are, are doing a lot of coverage of it this week, and he's quoting Senator, I think he's a Fianna Fail Senator Malcolm Byrne on the radio yesterday, saying that a lot of people don't understand when you have a vacuum of information that the vacuum is filled mm-hmm. by bad actors. You know, the tropes about we have a lot of people saying there's. People coming into the country unvetted. There's no such thing as an unvetted person for a start, and everybody is checked on their way in. But he's right about the vacuum of understanding uh, and vacuum of information. I think, and, and I know, in the expert advisory group, we are always recommending that they need a much more coherent uh, government needs a much more coherent information um, campaign out there. There's no understanding, for example, or very little understanding of our legal obligations. So, like we're legally obliged to take in yeah, uh, an awful lot inter- of people. Yeah. We have to, and and it's been held not own not alone. Are we legally obliged to to take them into the country? We're Obliged to offer them the same uh, services the and can person be sued get. in respect of
1: that, and Hampton and, have been, and yeah. the state
4: has lost earlier on mm-hmm. uh, this year. So there's little understanding of what our legal obligations are, never mind our moral obligations I- in relation to. People uh, at, at protests around the country saying like they're not racist, uh, and and I hear that myself. Their actions kind of belie that. I mean, getting on a bus and checking people's ID.
1: Some, not yeah, of Some all absolutely, who are yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll some yeah, of some of them.
4: Uh, get, you know, the idea of getting on a bus and checking people's ID uh, is is not exactly not racist. The idea. There was a piece on the same page seven in the Daily Mail talking about a video going around in, from Ballenro which two Asian men arrived at that hotel were pounced upon by some social media users uh, because they thought they were refugees I mean if that isn't racism judging people by the colour of their skin uh, I don't know what is so I think there's a, a lack of understanding on part of the protesters and it, it pa- also about the, the wider public. Yeah
1: but is it partly structural too like I mean you know when you look at the population growth that we've had the last 25 years in tandem with um, our economic um, growth um, you know 40, the population has increased by 40% uh, you know and we're, we're looking at the need for more housing, more things in the Future years, so it's politically, Kevin Doyle. How do you navigate that? Because on the one hand, um, I just saw Jennifer Carol McNeil as well this morning saying, mm-hmm. we, we, "We need migrants, and we need uh, legal migrants for all of these roles." But of course, they're they're all they're all sort of congregating around the same pinch point, which is for now housing and services.
2: Yeah, for I mean, it's an <clears throat> obvious thing, but there's no one simple answer to this because. Mm immigration is not one singular thing we are talking about refugees for example in the case of Ukraine we're talking about people seeking international protection in, in other cases uh, we're talking about just people coming here to live uh, people coming home that maybe went abroad in, in 10 years ago and all the rest of it so there's multi-factors when you talk about immigration it's not just to do with hotels and country towns it's a much broader thing and all of that pushes on the services. But I think what has happened is that six months ago immigration was not a political topic. Politicians were not worried about it. They were not wor- They were worried about health and housing in different ways. But now immigration is getting some of the blame for the problems that we have health and housing and that makes it a political topic.
1: And Ray, do we need to uh, do we need to parse uh, what we mean by immigration, like I mean, the, the Sunday Times is an interesting uh, leader this morning, where 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 they look at that, they're they're predicting that politicians will be on course for a clash with voters over immigration, but they're saying it's notable that concerns over immigration are focused uh, are are focusing almost exclusively on asylum seekers, even though numerically they make up the third and smallest driver of immigration. So how are we going to navigate that debate because it is so multi layered?
3: It's all down to the diagnosis. The problem was a lot of these problems preceded when mm-hmm. all of these immigrants came in. And and we need to also look at our own history. Like I'm afraid uh, we had a big immigration to the UK, we had a big immigration to the US. And, we, and, and those countries, 40%, I think, the of the population in the U.S. has got our Irish origins. But going back to you know, just looking at the health service, greater majority, a high proportion of our work service nurses, doctors, other allied therapists are actually coming from abroad. We're lucky to have them. We're in a global world, like you just can't isolate this out as Ireland. And you know, knowing medical practitioners in other jurisdictions, this isn't a unique problem to Ireland. It might be more so we're a smaller country. We're mm-hmm. We we we, we uh, expose these type of things, which is good. But the answer isn't necessary just in Ireland. Um, but you know, we do need more social housing. We need to make sure that we're. That the problem is the pressures then come on our most vulnerable or our elders or our deprivation areas. And we need to focus on them to ensure that we're building up the resources of those areas.
1: Yeah. And I suppose it it is looking towards to politically how um, it's all going to be managed. What's it like, Linda, at a local level, you know, in terms of how our politicians locally um, navigating these issues?
0: You know, it's very difficult. You see it even in debates at county council level. Um, the, the politicians are very much reflecting the views of people on the ground. But That's no great surprise. We have a local local, and European elections coming, coming up. up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but I suppose the difficulty is these issues are all overlapping. So immigration feeds into housing, feeds into health, as some of the speakers have, have already said. Um, so look, it's going to be... I'd say, in the top three election issues, both the local and general election, whether that's at the back end of of this year or next year, it's going to be one of the the top issues. And um, absolutely, I mean, we've seen some of the the local councillors but also some of the the TDs stand with some of these protesters at the locations. Um, there's, There's at least three locations in Kavan at the moment that are, are the focus of these types of, of, of protests. And they, they're very much standing with the people on the ground. Um, they are saying, you know, we're not getting we're not getting the information, we're not getting consulted. Even Cavan County Council, they have said we were not made aware that the Department of Integration was exploring St. Castle Saunderson International Scouting Centre near Bilturbet. Turbot. That's another location that's that's being considered for Ukrainian refugees, as I understand it some of the ones from Strad Valley. They're saying we haven't been we haven't been consulted. The Education and Training Board which will be required to to put school places uh, you know in, in place for people they're not being consulted but either and they need to be consulted to get the wraparound services in place
1: but Lorcan is uh, Simon Harris right when he says it wouldn't matter if you had consulted extensively because there is such a small but hardcore who um, are going to do what they do anyway opt including violence
4: and I think they use housing as a lever to, to further other ends I mean I think I don't know, it was Ray or Kevin or somebody made the point there that this isn't uniquely Irish I mean this is going on no. across Europe there's going to be nine parliamentary elections uh, in Europe this year and that, you know, 10 if we have one Um, and increasingly Europe politically is a card that can only turn right. You know, so in the vast majority of those elections, in all of those elections, the expectation is that it will be a right-wing or centre-right government that will take over, which is going to further this problem, particularly in, in southern Europe uh, and places like Italy and Greece. And, and it's, so interesting it's, 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 it's not to unique to us. Yeah, you know? it's
1: not unique. And Shane Coleman, sorry, <laughs> you flicking the pages mm-hmm. trying to get it, but had an interesting piece where he is saying that, you know, when it comes to social affordable housing, uh, that we're not being, people who are on those lists are not being denied it because of the refugee uh, crisis or asylum seekers or, you know, that that stock is not being used for that. So it's really, it's really tricky. And there, there's a piece I just wanted, uh, I know several of you spotted it, but the businessman, Pascal Taggart, um, mm-hmm. uh, is cited uh, in several of this morning's papers where he's actually talking about the need, as in other countries, what they've done is to protect key workers. That if we want to keep the nurses, the, the guards and other key workers working in vital services that we need to, I think he suggested, uh, using state land to rapidly build an Par- I think he was saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's been done in the UK.
4: We, we don't have the concept of key worker housing in Ireland and they do particularly in places like London and, and in other countries and essentially what it is is the state or the local authority defines what they decide is an essential worker so naturally professors and journalists wouldn't fall into that but guards and police people and fire brigade people and ambulance and, and all that kind of actually one city I think it was in Australia defined uh, local authority town planners as key workers but the, the idea is that you provide um, you focus on providing affordable housing that matches their wages for them in key locations so they don't have to Commute from Cavan to to end up in Finswale Fire Station uh, in the morning to do to to do their shift, um, and we don't do that. We've never focused on that. We kind of have a generic pool of private housing for everybody, and the professors competing with the fire fire brigade person, who's competing with the teachers, competing with the the scientists. Um, whereas in the, in other jurisdictions, they the specialise housing uh, m- much more. You know, it's uh, much more detailed. I'm not sure. Kevin, how,
1: how 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 high would the shrieks of the nimbies be if you were starting to take um, uh, much loved? Um, park areas right across the city and using it for housing.
4: Well, funnily enough, you find because of the wages are the same in the public sector, you find that certain professions tend to congregate together, particularly mm. guards, for example, who are all come out at 23, 24, mm. on the same pay scale nearly yeah. all of their lives, and you find them living in certain areas together, like swords and, and out in West Dublin and places like that, you know, because because of their, their salaries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kevin there, um, what's well, interesting, I know I, I was making reference to the poll earlier in the Sunday Independent, but when you actually look at the, the top five five list of issues. immigration was in the middle you know housing and cost of living was up there but what was fascinating that health was at 2% of those who were polled there's a margin of error but for, for all of our talk about health I was surprised at that
2: It always drops down I'll, I'll give you the science first will I? Please that give the, me the science so the, do that So the poll was actually from Friday and Saturday this is in the CINDO with Ireland Thinks um, and the sample size was uh, 1,270 people so it has a margin of plus or minus 2.8% yeah. so close on 3% but yeah they go through I suppose the, the the hot topics that people think will be the most significant in the general election. And very unsurprising, housing is up there at top. Cost of living at, uh, sorry, housing 41%, cost of living 26%, Immigration, twenty five percent, so very close to to cost of living now, and then healthcare falls way back. Highest childcare at
1: one percent?
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's and then there is other things in there: rural-urban divide, mm. the war in in um, Israel-Gaza, climate change. All those things fall way below. And uh, Jody Corcoran, actually, in his piece, I think actually found a way to sum it up, which is that. When the election comes around, we will be looking at housing and the economy and all. But at the moment, the raw energy is on immigration. So it may not be the topic that when people sit down today to go about their business, to plan out their week next week, going to work and Mm. dropping the kids off at creche and all the rest of it. it, It's not the issue that isn't to the forefront of their mind, but it is going to eat up a lot of the political Arguments that well, are going to take place. Well,
1: that's a, the suggestion, at least from the polls. But as we often know, when it comes to, to the actual ones, uh, those can change. Um, Linda, um, in terms of how you think this is going to shape uh, the elections, particularly the you know the the local and Europeans, and often it is about given the government parties are dropping, it might not actually be about the issues. But how do you think these issues are going to play out um, in the local and Europeans?
0: yeah as i've already said there the you know the 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 main ones in, in a rural constituency like Cabin um I, i'd say housing absolutely be number one i think cost of living you know I, I would actually agree with the way the poll is going is although they're saying inflation is coming down this year we're already seeing it in our energy bills for example they're coming down i think that's still going to be pretty pretty high up there um i mean if you think of where we came from a few years ago uh, i would be able we have a family of six in our house and I would have been able to do a weekly shop for about 100 to 120 euros. And you're looking at around 200 euros a week now. That's an incredible jump in the space of time where people's wages haven't gone up. And I mean, we're talking about inflation this this year of around 3%, which is easing and it's great mm-hmm. to see it. But it's it's still impacting people. And I think that's still going to be a major issue. And that's something that affects everybody. In Calvin, I think health is... is, is higher than that poll would suggest absolutely but health is one of those things that unless it's affecting you at a particular time Mm -hmm. or a family Mm -hmm. member it's not on your radar but it is really really important um, and definitely in in terms of waiting times and waiting lists and even for things like children with special needs getting Mm -hmm. uh, assessments and interventions and things like that it is really important and I think that's going to be up there as well Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting local and European election.
2: Sometimes those figures are, are reflective of the fact that the health thing has been a problem for pretty much generations at mm-hmm. this stage. Absolutely. So there is almost, when it comes to an election acceptance, that none of them are going to fix it. And I'm not saying that's right. Whereas with housing, it's a relatively new problem of this well, generation. Not I just thought, because
1: there was a really interesting piece uh, in the Business Post, which was looking at my goodness, the complexity of the um, of our housing problem to, you know, because it's, it's we can't say that the state's not investing or spending millions or spending billions, but it's sort of creating anomalies, um, particularly between the relationship between the private sector and the need to to build uh, public and social housing. I think what Killian Woods say that.
4: Yeah, C- C- Killian has a great piece. So Killian is a great journalist. He, d- he does great stuff on particularly on housing. So his piece he digs in. Is, uh, he does? He yeah, you no, know, he's very good at, at getting the data and FOIs and all that. How the housing market is now hooked on state cash. So he starts the piece talking about Dara O'Brien when he was in opposition. Um, Having a go at Leo Varadkar for saying that there's no silver bullet to housing Uh, and of course now apparently this is Daryl Bryan's favourite phrase is that there's no silver bullet to housing. So, uh, you know, when reality bites you, kind of your tune changes. But I suppose the point, Killian's main point in this is that the state is now hooked on all sorts of subsidies. Uh, for, for private development and, and social development that it's going to be really hard to wean themselves w- off it because you've got you've in the social uh, housing so you've got HAP housing assistance payment you've helped to buy your first home you've Cree Conica you've shared equity all these things are, are wonderful in their own way well they're not but the point is the more you, you bring these in the more developers price them into their product mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. harder it is for them to withdraw that and that's going to be really difficult and it's what happens when you rely on somebody it's else it, to do and the heavy lifting for you and you
1: know? it's also what happens when the uh the, the temporary or emergency measures sort becomes of becomes permanent. becomes permanent yeah. and, and embedded in the system? I think the point he was also making is just that uh to, to that about inflation and the cost of housing, like that's just not going
4: it's not going away but, yeah. but, but wages aren't going up so the gap between what the industry say it can provide and what people can afford is being bridged by the taxpayer basically in all these different different schemes that's not feasible in the long term it'll be interesting Sinn Féin has said they're going to get rid of the help to buy uh, when it comes along uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can actually do that when, when push comes to shove
1: and, and Kevin they've also uh, the, that 300,000 euro um, house price gamble mm. appears to have paid off for them uh, for the moment
2: it does the same poll suggests that um, basically that that people are on board with that idea which I have to say I'm surprised at because there's I've always thought and I've written this before that the question of do you want the housing crisis to be solved? The answer from everybody is yes.
1: If it doesn't affect my house price. Uh, Yes, uh, yes. If I knock
2: €100,000 off the price of your house, um, does it matter? Now, maybe part of the conclusion is that it has got to the stage where the parents who are living in their €500,000 house want to get the two kids out so badly that they would have their own house devalued in the hope that the kids (laughs) would actually move out and get their own place. Um, Yeah, so I mean, when when Mary Lou Macdonald threw this out there more as a... a concept. Um, I'm not sure how you would actually achieve it in any mm. real time.
4: You can deliver a 300,000 euro house, but it won't be done by the private sector.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, It'll be and done and
4: with no land and by the state,
2: Yeah, and just about. Which, mm. uh, yeah, and it will take time. I, I would be surprised if you could do it in one no political term. Kemba, no, no silver bullet. No silver bullet, bullet. <laughs> exactly. But, but I think when she threw it out, very much Finnegale, particularly, particularly were putting back this idea, you're going to push tens if not hundreds of thousands of people into negative equity and mm-hmm. we've all been there after the Celtic Tiger crash and people don't want to go back into negative equity and paying mortgages for more than their houses actually worth. Um, the poll suggests that people are not as against that idea. Now, mm. again... Is that what you tell a pollster because you feel that's what you uh, should say?
0: what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Nobody wants to see the value of their house go down. Now, of course, it only really becomes an issue. uh, Like most people buy their houses and pay their mortgages and live in their houses for a lifetime. And maybe when they retire, they do sell them and downgrade or do some sort of a deal to sell them to their children. Um, So like negative equity is not really an issue if you're in your house for for life. But I think most people, middle aged to older people, would buy into that concept because they're seeing young people emigrating in their droves. And young people are saying one of the reasons that they're going Obviously, they want to explore and everything else and get experience. But one of the reasons they're going is they don't feel that they can get a foot on the property ladder. If they're paying expensive rent, they can't afford to save for a deposit. Um, Other things like contribution charges and the cost of getting the water connection, an ESB connection. I mean, you're running into tens of thousands of euros before you even lay block. And the the one thing, um, Ray, that really stalks the the health
1: sector is the amount of um, young, talented people that qualify here, and then because of not just career options, but because of the housing crisis, are also taking flight.
3: Oh definitely, uh, I, I think point. to some extent it's become a rite of passage at this stage, mm-hmm. and, and the problem is it wasn't dealt with at the start. Um, but you know, if we look at medicine, 40% of all medical practitioners are actually post They pay their full fees out of their own pocket. Why do they go to Australia and other countries? You know, in Australia you can allow your postgrad fees, not just medics, mm. engineers, teachers whatever, you can allow your postgrad fees against your tax. Australia trains very few of its own doctors but they take it yeah. from the English speaking world. So if we don't compete as eleven flame field that's probably never going to change. But only approximately 10% of GPs actually go and a lot of those people return as well.
1: Yeah, no, if, I, say, I think Mary Carr in the, the Mail on Sunday was suggesting that we should keep them here for a certain period of time get, to, getting, to avoid get, that
3: flight. Getting back to why uh, health isn't on the agenda is because we actually have the highest reported good health in Europe mm. by people and we actually have the fastest growing longevity with Norway in Europe. So there is some good health there, but the problem is, you're right, the problem is the solution to the health service is not going to be short term. If we look at one of the best healthcare systems in, in Holland, they spent 30 years developing yeah.
1: it. Well listen, we're going to come back actually because there are, are quite a number of health stories, but first of all, we're going to take a quick break. Thanks.
2: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.
1: You're all very welcome. Back uh, with me here are Linda O'Reilly, editor of the Anglo-Celt, Dr. Ray Wally, GP, Lorcan Sir, senior lecturer of housing at Technological University Dublin and Kevin Doyle, group head of news at Mediahuis Ireland. Um, Ray, I wanted to bring you in uh, on Tony O'Brien's piece um, in the Business Post where he's talking about, um, we we had a discussion about it last week, the the extent to which we are desensitised to the... The trolley crisis, which, you know, was once the annual trolley crisis and now has sort of become permanently embedded and how demoralising that is for staff, for patients, everyone. But it is that we've almost become so accustomed to it that it's only when it gets really, 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 really bad that that it hits the headlines. Uh,
3: It is noticeable by reviewing the papers how little Mm -hmm. is there about health. Uh, That being said, it's the perpetual... Uh, trolley crisis which is no longer just in the winter setting the other thing which is surprising is that there's very little mentioned in regard to the continuing endemic problem with uh, covid and the yearly problems we're having with flu which are considerable maybe we can come back to that later on you know uh, i'm afraid you know, we, we have uh, a, a perpetual bed problem because we have 104% capacity in our hospitals. That means that if you have... A per-
1: About 80-85? It that should the be 80-85. Again, if we, l-
3: if we look at good healthcare systems, you need a rotation of beds. Beds need to be cleaned. You have reduced infection rates. You know, A big example is, is uh, Holland. When they put a bed in, there's a bed on... Uh, there's a mattress on top of the bed. There's a mattress underneath the bed. There's a mattress in spare capacity in the hospital. And there's another mattress somewhere Else. So basically, and as a result of that, they rotate the beds and you've got 15% of all closed. Now if you look at, for example, we've got a COVID inquiry on the horizon, yeah. much of our decisions were based on the fact that we had poor ICU capacity, we had poor bed capacity. Same issues, I, I was an, actually an SHO in Limerick Regional back in 1988 or so, and I'm afraid they had capacity problems then. That was before they shut Nina, that was before they mm-hmm. shut Ennis. All that's happened with that is it's got worse. Yes, they put new beds in, but population has gone up. Our population has greatly increased in the last decade or yeah, so. Yeah,
1: because again, it's not its not true to say that there hasn't been investment in that and particularly post-COVID to look at it, but it is just coming up, um, Larkin, against the... Um, you know, the, the population surges and particularly a rapidly aging population and the pressure that that um, applies. Like, I mean, we've been talking about this since the 80s.
4: Well, it, it begs the question that if we're spending so much money, how come we have 104 percent you know, capacity? Why are we over that? And are we good at spending money? I, um, I, you know, Ray raised the question during the break there. You know, maybe we're not just good at infrastructure. It's funny. We can do infrastructure when we want to. So, for example, during the 90s, we built a whole motorway network. Uh, And we did it quite well. And I know a lot of it is PPP. There's only one untold motorway uh, in the country. But, you know, it still works quite well. It's well managed. Now, roads aren't the same as hospitals, arguably. But, you know, we, I think we can do it if we want, but we seem to lack, A, I'd say, the will to do it, uh, <laughs> and B, we seem to throw money, good money, after bad, uh, And we do it in housing as well as well as, as, well as teams everywhere else. The other thing that struck me during the week, I was reading about the trolley count uh, and how there was a, such a big difference between what the...
1: IMO and the HSC. It's been a long-running And
4: it's exactly the same in housing. I know when the housing numbers come out, of course, they're egged up to be the greatest thing, you know, and the biggest number ever since the 1980s or whatever. It's actually when you do the a bit of analysis like that it all depends on how you count them you find that there's usually a lot of numerical massaging going on.
1: It, but they, they usually travel in the same direction though you know in terms of uh, you know the, the, the peaks that we're experiencing. Um, Linda obviously look I mean Cavan and you know the northeast, even in particular just the health is such a big issue and having access particularly to acute care um, in your region is something that's really really important in that area.
0: It is. And the first thing I would say is is most of the medical staff and the medical professionals, the people that look after you in Calvin General, Monaghan Hospital, are fantastic. I mean, I've, I've seen it several times. They do brilliant work and they go above and beyond for their patients. But at times they're running around like headless chickens. Um, We've seen repeated uh, notices from hospital management over the past year where, where they call escalation memos, where they're contacting the media and advising them you know, to alert the public don't to come avoid to NAE, come to A&E yeah. exactly uh, to seek alternative pathways to, to care be that the pharmacy or the GP or whatever I mean I don't know about you guys but I, I don't take a trip to A&E lightly I, I have three three boys in my house so the, the, some of the doctors there know me at this stage particularly people <laughs> first in name terms. <laughs> but um, yeah no look at people don't go to the ED lightly now I'm happy to say that in Captain General there's going to be a big investment Investment in the in the ED there, but uh, what Lorcan said about throwing good money after bad that that really struck a chord with me. Um, you really need to look at the way. Th- these hospitals are, are set up in terms of how they're managed and how patients are processed in different departments. Uh, there has to be a better way of, of doing but it. If,
4: if we accept that the nurses and doctors are doing a great job, and I've had mixed bag experience with that, to be really honest with you, mm-hmm. but if we accept that they are, is the issue then one of management or at an executive level then? Uh, that, that I would suggest it?
0: that there are more admin and management posts, mm-hmm. um, you know, on, on a proportionate level than there are actual medical people on, on the front line. I think
2: um, I, I had... An experience in, a, in an emergency department with a small, very sick child recently, and it was absolutely horrendous is what I would say. Um, uh, I won't go into the detail, but what it, but my takeaway from it was that people didn't want to order tests because that created more work down the line that would ultimately come back around them. So a lot of diagnosis was happening based on mm-hmm. assumptions um, rather than that. And I mean, if you read... One thing in all the health stuff today is that the timeline of Aoife Johnson's um, death in UL is it cuts through all the political debate and and all the kind of what's wrong with the system and the millions and billions we spend on it. Because just looking at how the family pleaded for the doctors to intervene and people pleaded... um, it's, it's the fourth time I think Alan English wrote in his letter from the editor mm-hmm. today that her story has been on the front of the Sunday Independent. And sometimes that's what it takes is a face and an, mm-hmm. sadly uh, a very unfortunate grieving family to cut through a lot of the, 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 and yet, the right, talk around this.
1: Um, aside from the specific circumstances of that tragic case, the general um, activity at A&E units is something that Many families listening mm-hmm. um, today will be very, very familiar with, you know, it strikes me sometimes it's it's perhaps a miracle that we don't have more, mm-hmm. more deaths mm-hmm. associated with it. Look, like, when you've worked as a as an SHO and in those very, very, very stressful environments, like, I mean, what, what do we do? Look, like, what do we need to alleviate it? Is it is it if it's not a question of money? Is it is it management? Is it what needs to change Or or, where do you, or have you seen anywhere where it works well?
3: Well, in, in a healthcare system, like for decades, we didn't provide infrastructure, investment and staffing infrastructure. And the problem is, is that uh, preventative medicine is cheaper than providing acute reactive medicine. So, And the problem is, for decades, we did do that. So for for the decade of the FEMPE crisis or the the bankruptcy of the country, we provided very little. I I don't want to be, you know, there there are good things that have come out. So for example, we have a a properly resourced chronic disease management Mm -hmm. contract that came in which won a United Nations award. I would have been part of one of the group who organised it and I won an award which is preventative medicine, which is going to grow dividends. The problem is we have an ageing population. We need more of that. In in regard to if, I've worked in Limerick region with regional at a time when uh, the infrastructure was poor then, there were too few staff. Again, it sounds similar as well here because yeah. the population but, but you know, we, we need, we do unfortunately need to throw money at the health service but basically uh, we, you know it has been acknowledged you need three hospitals of around 300 each, be it Cork, Dublin and Galway or wherever and basically we haven't built them. Now remember it's taken 20 years to build a children's hospital You know, yeah. so certainly, for example, there have been improvements in my area, in North Dublin we don't have the same degree of weights yep. that you had in previous years the matter of Beaumont and Connolly are lower down the chain than previously um, but they've been able to put new beds in so you know it isn't all doom and gloom but we just need to improve on it
1: Can I stick with you Ray just on um, a story uh, that's in the Sunday Times and it's it's amazing what what the Taliban have done in Afghanistan is impacting on the streets of Dublin, um, of London and elsewhere, just in terms of these uh, frightening drug overdoses that we've uh, seen here in Ireland and obviously in other countries across Europe, that um, the strength of the drugs coming in, uh, in, the, in the, where the, the opium supply is drying up, um, must be frightening for, for clinicians and for patients.
3: It's well, another example. We live in a global world. It's yeah. hard to believe that the benefits of the Taliban, cracking inadvert- down, cracking yeah. down on on provision of opium or whatever. Like this is a drug called nitazine. It's a synthetic opioid. It's 25 stronger, times stronger than fentanyl. It's something that was discovered in the 1950s, 1960s. It's synthetic, so it's man-made. Uh, but it was believed to be too dangerous, uh, so they stopped developing it. But of course, the the legal area has basically got in there. Um, it's basically coming from. Asia, it's coming from the Middle East, and um, it's in, you know, sort of uh, given in pure form, it hasn't necessarily been with heroin. And um, you know, it can cause cardiac arrest, it can cause respiratory arrest. A good proposal now, which is going to come in, is that the Gardee will be trained up well, actually, left out was the training. Hopefully, they will be trained up to use the naloxone, which comes as a nasal spray or as an injection, and that's something that revives we- people. Yes, revise yeah. people in regard to respiratory arrest. At the end of the day, it takes away the, the, the effects, the acute effects. And by the way, you might need many of those narcons. You might need many of those nasal spray, many of those injections. But it saves lives. I think it's been in Scotland since in 2020. I think we're the third police force in Europe to do it. Um, now, it, is, it begs the question, should we providing that over-the-counter and on prescription? Um, you know How you work these things out is by a health impact analysis. Like They've got to work out whether it, it is beneficial to do that. But that is good.
1: Yeah, no, it is. Um, I'd want to, Kevin, uh, women in politics. Uh, there's quite a number of sort of related stories uh, in, in the uh, papers this morning. Uh, the Sunday Independent, uh, I think Shane Ross is saying, what are they waiting for? A merger is uh, the magic formula for Holly and Havana.
2: Yes, and this goes on the back of interviews that Holly Carnes and Ivana Bacic did during the week. Obviously, the leader of the SOC Dems and the leader of the Labour Party. And ever since, I suppose, Roisin Shorto and Catherine Murphy had the breakaway SOC Dems creation, there has always been this question of, well, you're kind of the same thing. So why don't you just come together and have one... Uh, plausible party with a chance and Shane Ross uh, has a thesis which is very much along the lines that nobody is afraid of Holly Kearns and nobody is afraid of Ivana Bachik because separate um, they have two small parties that are really not going too far, um,
1: but if they came together but if
2: they came together, he reckons it could be a social and electoral um, rocket um that that could actually um achieve something in the next election that could stand up to Sinn Fein and create an alternative opposition to what we have there at the moment um, because, and would also because start the centre to left worry.
1: has defeated or at least has uh, militated against the rise of the political right in uh, other countries Australia, mm. Germany, Spain so the, he's saying come together I think the leader in the uh, uh, Sunday Independence says um, uh, were a merger with the Social Democrats to come before a general election it would further dilute what remains of the Labour brand of politics in Ireland but that's not the most important issue now
2: No and, and it's also Shane Ross makes the point that if they it, part of the issue maybe that's holding the SOC Dems back from doing this is that Labour is tarnished by Um, The coalition that obviously introduced huge austerity and went away in many ways from what um, the Labour Party had stood for back through the 80s and 90s and that maybe that it's time for Labour to just try and forget about all that altogether. Now, if they become co-leaders and all the rest of it again, it's, it's an interesting idea. I don't know that they're going to do it, and, and there is six months to the local elections where they'll be fighting against, against each, each other,
1: and maybe wasting good political capital. Linda, um, uh, the interesting piece I think it was in the Mail on Sunday just about um, how uh, women are being deterred uh, from going into uh, politics. But who has a solution? Who wants to see a fifty-fifty gender rule in the cabinet?
0: Oh, that would be uh, Deputy Neve Smith, Fina Fall, She's Kevin Monaghan TD. Yes. so she is of your parish, indeed. Indeed, indeed she's mentioned on the front page of, of the Mail on Sunday today calling for that 50-50 gender quota in in the Cabinet so it's an interesting story she makes a good point um, on the whole issue of gender gender quotas generally as a woman um, I mean I can see the merit in, in having a balance there and I think it is important to try and strive for that but I absolutely very strongly feel that somebody shouldn't be in a position just because they're female and that the Ticking that token female. You like female. the impact, not the oh,
1: process.
0: No. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. like but ticking that ticking that token female box. It actually the idea of that really annoys me. Um, but in, in theory, I agree with what she is looking for. I don't know how achievable achievable it is. I mean, I mean, if we could even start with thirty three percent, that would be a good start. Uh, but in terms of the underlying debate of, of attracting women into mm-hmm. politics, that is a problem and that is an issue. And I mean, you see it particularly on social media. I mean, if you post anything from a politician or a political story, uh, the abuse, the absolute uh, abuse that they attract online um, I mean it, it's, it's, it's wrong politicians it's the speak all speak of you but
1: women female politicians in particular um, it's high time uh, Kevin that we uh, a woman was in the top job that uh, Daniel Murray did a, a Christmas interview with, uh, uh, with uh, Mary Lou McDonald
2: the latest in the series yeah, of the latest Mary in the Lou series. Uh, <laughs> interviews it's like but a who, Netflix who series has,
1: who has p- p- held back I think from um, she couldn't be accused of playing the gender card but is just saying why no. not me And it's
2: it's quite interesting because actually there's a little bit of double. In that at mm. one point, it's like mm-hmm. we won't be making any issue of the fact that I am the leader of a party and I, I am female, <laughs> and then, then the next sentence is, But it's high time we had yeah. a female <laughs> shock. so it's it's definitely trying not to over egg it, but at the same time, they know there are votes in that yeah. idea, um, and that, that she would like to play it. But I mean, that she is very clear in saying that I want to be a leader of a party, not a female leader of a party, um. But I think, look, it's there and it's referenced in the interview, you know, that there was a certain mood around the gay marriage referendum, around abortion. There are these kind of seismic social moments. And the fact that we haven't had a female leader of this country, it is one of those things. It's a. It's a. I won't say it's it a box we have to take, but it is one of those things that has to happen. Could it at some be point. one of
4: those things, Larkin? Yeah, I think uh, very easily. It's it's interesting when you look across Europe. So there's nine parliamentary elections due in 2024, and that's not including Ireland. But if 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 you look, um, you know, we we have one in 2025, but quite likely to happen this year. Ireland is the only country in Europe where the greatest, the biggest challenger to the incumbent government is a left or centre left or whatever you want to call a government. Every other uh, of the nine uh, parliamentary elections this year, the the likely um, winner is going to be a right or centre right. And what you see then with, with Sinn Féin then would be interesting because then you probably have a female Taoiseach. But also going back to the story with Labour and the Lib Dems what you get with the fragmentation of politics across Europe, and you do, and it's happening here and it's to do with urbanisation and a whole lot of things, is you quite you could quite likely end up with a coalition where Labour uh, are in with the Social Democrats and are, are in with Sinn Féin. Uh, it'd be very interesting. I was I was at a book launch recently when Ivan Yates uh, was doing his oration, as he, as he does, uh, and he, as a betting guy, he reckoned that everybody is totally underestimating the youth vote for Sinn Féin mm-hmm. in the country, and he could see them getting an absolute majority which I thought was very interesting
1: so instead of uh, Holly and Ivana it could be all three who knows mm. um, why don't we take a quick break
2: listen back on the RTE radio player app Brendan O'Connor on RTE radio one
1: uh, they're chatting away all okay. to ourselves here Lorcan before uh, I go on to um, something a wee bit lighter uh the, I actually thought the good competition for a front page today was actually the off lead in today's business post which had, had a warning that Ireland's corporate tax boon could soon dry up. It was a former yeah. um, OECD chief. I kind of it, interesting talking about housing and everything and we're not maybe just looking at that the bigger um, picture. The bigger yeah. picture.
4: Where, where you want to go for this stuff, I find, because I, I have family and friends involved in what you might call SME businesses yeah. like haulage and refrigeration and all that kind of stuff. And when they start to say things are slowing down, then in the coal the mine. canary in the coal yeah. mine is the SMEs and if they see, say, you know, less machinery being imported or less commercial refrigeration going into restaurants or refrigeration being taken out of restaurants and not mm. replaced, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you start to begin to think, well actually there's, there's something going on here that hasn't quite reached, you know, it hasn't diluted up to the top yet where where it's become an issue. But to me it says that there is something coming down the line. More yeah. restaurants closing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Restaurants closing, or people saying that maybe a uh, commercial property should be turned into uh, apartments. Linda, it was something that, you, uh, that caught your eye as well.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, I think it is very interesting because um, the 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 corporation tax uh, Ireland had jealously guarded its twelve percent rate for so many years, but it's it's just, I suppose, come into the fifteen minimum fifteen percent regime. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see the impact of that. I mean you're unlikely to see existing companies up in sticks and moving. um, But it's going to be a lot more difficult to attract those type of companies here now when we've lost that that competitive edge in in terms of when it comes to corporation tax. And I think people forget it. I think it's the second most important of our, our tax intakes into the Exchequer. It was close to 30 billion last year. And there was a real dip there around the kind of mid to third quarter there in receipts it. and like I mean it just it exposes us it makes us very vulnerable and, and I
1: think part of that was the companies were uh, keeping their money in the banks because they, they, the, interest the interest rates, rates. Were, were so good but it is volatile isn't it or it's a, it's an interesting one to watch for Ray Wally isn't it
3: yeah but I think we need to also speak to our strengths we're English yeah. speaking a lot of these American companies coming here we lead in and a we've lot of areas been here very long time yeah we lead in a lot of areas like pharma we're very good at R&D uh, we lead in like Intel are a big yeah. employer. We have a well-educated population. Like I think we have the highest. Uh, percentage uh, graduates. That's, there's yeah. a downside to that. Try to get a carpenter. Try to get a plumber yeah. and all that. And we need to to learn from that. But that is happening. So I think you know. I think this is part of our country growing up. And basically, we're going to have to adopt. Uh, and
1: and do, do we talk ourselves down too much? You spotted a wee uh, a wee yarn in the uh, the Sunday Mirror um, about us. Uh, uh, how Dublin is kicking off as a smart tourism city, and it it did seem to get a, a tiny piece of coverage for an otherwise good news story.
3: Uh, Yes, it's a very tiny piece of coverage, but uh, basically it is a good news story. I think they applied for it in 2019, they didn't get it. Um, So basically it's it's kickstarting smart tourism uh, they're going to collaborate with other countries, see what the good is coming out of other countries, try to uh, to emulate it. It was why the Samuel Beckett Bridge was lit up on Friday. Spectacularly, I, was, I was wondering yeah. why, why so. Um, and um, the aim is to deliver a green, accessible, inclusive, innovative Dublin. They're not my words. Um, <laughs> so basically I've re- read the bump. But anyway, positive news.
1: A bit of positive news. Um, Linda, uh, tonight sees uh, the start of um, uh, Room to Improve, the next uh, season. And given everything we've been talking, about uh, housing um, are, are you
0: a fan is it is it sort of a little an indulgence for you
1: the series link
0: is set um, we all watch it as a family together and do you know what it's very watchable as a family with people of different children of different ages in the house it's one of the few things we do all watch together my husband and my my daughter are particularly fond of it um, yeah no look at uh, we love it I mean it's not just about the housing projects um that Dermot Bannon undertakes and, and the transformation. I mean, there's been some great characters across the series and some great storylines with friction, be that between couples in a house or, or Dermot and, and somebody else, and budgets and mm-hmm. deadlines and overruns. Um, so it makes for very, very good TV. And it's a kind of fairy tale stuff. I mean, you're looking at housing and projects and budgets that most people cannot afford and will never be able to afford. So uh, there's an aspirational sense to it. Uh, but I would like to see them maybe taken on. Um, um, a couple of more practical projects kind of m- more realistic budgets more realistic house types uh, a- across the country that would be nice to see what can be achieved for for the normal, the majority of people. It's a bit like uh, Kevin Doyle, like uh, the Financial Times
1: "How to Spend" a magazine. You know, the, the the thing that you read will never be within uh, your reach. But even uh, even Dermot Bannon is saying that you know that maybe he's a bit at fault for sort of inducing this property port given the housing crisis. Is, is it? Does it feel a little bit sort of?
2: Even Dermot Bannon is now even admitting he's gone too far, uh, which, which is in itself something. The only ma- person to do more interviews than Mary Lou Macdonald, I think. Um, he's in almost all the papers but yeah you're right Dervil uh, Neve Horn has an interview with him in this in the Sunday Independent where he is basically taking a share of the blame for this yeah. idea that we all feel we need to win the lotto so that we can have the ideal mm. home and he's perhaps he's saying that maybe we should all pare it back a bit and be happy be happier well, well, with in, what in we fact, have
1: in fact I think it has I think that uh, this series is going to be uh, acknowledging that with inflation and cost of living everyone's going to have to maybe reduce their aspirations and yeah. their budgets.
4: He, he's, like, it's good in that... Um, you know, it shows you the process of, you know, tendering and on-site yeah. and all that. It doesn't show you the stand-up rows. I mean, I know myself, I got work done a couple of years ago with the house and, and very excellent builders, Paul and Anthony were brilliant, but like, we had our days when we had to go head-to-head and toe-to-toe over various kind of things. It's interesting uh, from a, I don't want to go into lecture mode here, but from a, a housing policy theory perspective, it's very much this idea of constantly improving your house is very much related to Catholicism and that Catholic <laughs> idea of constantly improving and not going backwards uh, will always forwards
2: next hour we're going to need this stuff. <laughs> we're,
4: we're, we're always looking at our houses and going what can we do next the good know, room. room need painting yeah. the, the good room needs that's, good room. Need that's
2: priest, call property everyone knows their mother had this certainly my mother did this idea of as soon as one room was done up we do another yeah. did yeah. the next yeah. room so it was a sitting room this year the bathroom the Constance following year the kitchen yeah. and I never understood that till I bought a house and it to my mother
1: and then and the good room that you weren't allowed into and everybody complained about space in a house Lorcan lots of coverage still of uh, Luke uh, Littler and just that great uh, story which has uh, probably increased the uh, numbers of people <laughs> watching darts by I don't know how many yeah, yeah, he, multiples.
4: The amazing kind of stuff, great story in the Sunday Mirror just relates to, particularly for, for Ray and, and, and the health experts in the room about the kebab shop owner in Warrington <laughs> where, where Ray, go, where uh, Luke Littler goes have named a kebab uh, after him, the Luke Littler rap. Uh, <laughs> and it's very interesting that he says, the guy who runs it, who's only 17 himself, uh, he says when he comes in he orders the donor with extra meat Salad and mayo with chips, red salt. Well, I don't know what red salt is, and a Pepsi. And sometimes Horse he comes salt. in. Is that what it is? And sometimes he comes in with his dad, and they might also order garlic bread, cheese uh, as a side to go. So our health system, or the UK's the NHS, he's only sixty. 60. <laughs>
1: but, but it is, <laughs> it, it, but it is uh, Ray, just such a feel, uh, just a great feel good
3: story, isn't it? I know it is. Yeah, like you, you can see the excitement, and I think the BBC played some uh, clips of. Uh, different places all over the UK where these kids were subtly yeah. training now thinking <laughs> next week they're going to be Luke Litter. You need, you need positive stories like that.
1: We do. And that, that, Kevin, there aren't too many of them across the papers this morning. I was I was straining to find one. I, I think uh, the, the most amusing one I have found is that the, the Banshees of Anna Shireen, uh, Barry Cohen's uh, at the Golden Globes tonight. Uh, um, any predictions on how we'll do?
2: Well, I was going to say, I mean, we're obviously all watching Best Actor at the Golden Globes yeah. because we have 50% of the nominations. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know if the statistics on that in terms of the odds but you would hope they're pretty good uh, for, for Barry Keown. Um, but I suspect Offenheimer will probably be there mm. which uh, yeah. which means he'll probably miss out but isn't it great to get on the red carpet all, yeah, absolutely. A night, out. a night out like who doesn't want a night out <laughs> I know and I'm, I'm great
1: I'm great to see uh, Linda uh, so, so many of, of our actors doing so well on, on the international stage I think there, there was some agent just talking about how I think is it, the, is it that we're so chilled out or they're just they're,
0: they don't have notions I don't think I don't think he said that but I think mm-hmm. that's what he meant I think though the, the Irish people and Ireland in general has always punched above its weight when it's come mm-hmm. to the creative industry and to arts and film and everything like that. We are a very creative and a very talented people and that's always shone through. And certainly hasn't hurt us that uh, that the the Irish, I suppose, persona as people see it abroad, whether it be in Hollywood in America, mm. uh, you know, the friendly Irish and the fun Irish that that certainly has helped us as well. Uh, so we've always punched above our weight and we've produced some amazing uh, stars both uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera in terms mm-hmm. of the creatives. Um, so I would be hoping for, for the Irish contingent to do well. Lorcan, one investment that's paying off in Thank the creative art sector?
4: Oh, well, I'm, I'm on the board of a, 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 a an organisation called a Fire Station Artist Studio, which is really interesting. An old Fire Station in Buckingham Street where we have 12 uh, residences there, studios, that, that we award to up-and-coming sculptors and artists. And that's the kind of investment the Arts Council fund, a lot of it, and we, we fundraise ourselves that's the kind of investment. It's amazing the work that goes on in there and you wouldn't think it in a you know an old fire station in mm-hmm. Dublin 1 down near the Monto and those amazing sculpture workshops yeah. and they go out and we have a you know, full-time person engaging in the community and yeah. bringing the arts into it. Do, that's do, do
1: not adjust your set. We're finishing our panel with a very, very positive news story <laughs> to Linda O'Reilly, uh, to Kevin Doyle, Lorcan Sir and Dr Ray Wally. Thank you uh, for joining us this morning.